Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. Yeah, I don't like that. Is that too too sexy for you? Yeah, I don't know. I just as soon as it <laughs> came out, and I was just like, yeah. In theory, my name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we are two dedicated podcasters where we want new content for you every single week. And our podcast was kind of based on uh, it was set up because there are four weeks in a month generally, and once in a while we get that fifth week. So we don't want to take a break. We want to give uh, give the listeners a little glimpse into the the, the method to our madness. So what do we have? for you today. Mike, I want you to set us up here. I believe I pitched this to you as the uh the B-sides. You know, looking at our uh massive tit audience uh as someone that clamors for the uh the unreleased material, the, the box set version, uh these uh films that we're going to talk about are ones that possibly could have fit into our prior uh 3 months, so our our thematic trilogies. And uh, we have, I guess we have different uh, different versions of, of why they were not included uh, with, with all three. And it kind of worked out that it was one of them was your idea, which I think you're already, you know, you've already kind of started the, uh, the self-congratulation a little bit. Uh, and I think you're going to continue that sort of victory lap when you compare yours to the one that I said, hey, that could have been included. Uh, and then our third film was one that initially did make the cut. But got bumped because we both, you know, in the the best possible way, in a natural discussion, we both uh, really got excited to talk about Juno again. So one of them had to go to the cutting room floor. So, uh, yeah, this is a little bit of a mini, I guess, celebration of uh, the concept of trilogy in theory and that you're getting uh, three films in one week uh, that possibly could have gone in our previous trilogies. So we're going to try to make them fit into a new one, uh, a trilogy of losers, I guess, <laughs> and, and runner-ups. <laughs> I like that. Uh, the first one we want to talk about is Fatal Attraction. Dan? 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 Dan, can you hear me? Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> you bastard. Your face. Your face. That was a shitty thing to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just fooling around. My father died of a heart attack. I was seven years old. It happened right in front of me. Honey, I'm sorry. Really, I had no idea if I did. I never would have done anything like that. (laughs) Wait, he he didn't die? He's alive? (laughs) Yeah, he's alive and well and living in Phoenix. certainly got me, didn't you? 
this was maybe in the running early on. I don't know. When we came up with the concept of... It really started with Harvey, the Rabbit trilogy. And ultimately, I didn't know much about Fatal Attraction. It was, I think it was one of those films... Uh, in iTunes that I got in the uh, ten films for ten bucks, you know, and is it like the uh, the sexy collection, <laughs> sexy and dangerous <laughs> iTunes collection? I want to say it was something about the eighties, like hits from the eighties. It it might have been, uh, but it certainly could fit right into <laughs> the Michael Douglas Pervert trilogy between this disclosure, be a good month, and mm-hmm. uh, Basic Instinct. It's so weird that he plays the. I guess victim in all three of those films, and yet through the lens, the, the 2020 lens, through through the, with the Me Too movement, and you know, uh, the, everyone speaking up more about misconduct. I feel like none of those films, especially Fatal Attraction, would be well received today. This one did gangbuster numbers and was nominated for like five or six Oscars. I was shocked to hear that. Were you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's shocking for this type of uh, particular, I guess, genre material, which is, you know, it's it's one of the uh, kings or queens of erotic thrillers, I guess, where um, you get to enjoy. I, actually, that's gonna, I'm going to get into that a little bit. Uh, you're supposed to enjoy the the sex yeah. for for a time, and then you're supposed to feel bad about it because here here's the punishment <laughs> <laughs> for having that free willing lifestyle, Mister Douglas. So in that way, it's uh, it's, it's got quite a bit i guess in common with something like reefer madness except you know with movie stars where it's there's a clear uh morality play here where michael douglas that you know this is what you get for stepping out on your family uh and why you possibly could have fit into our uh our rabbit trilogy because uh, you get a dead rabbit and the the dead rabbit is the reason that you have to finally come clean about all all of your sins I had seen this once, and I think I watched it when I was a teenager, like early teens, because I thought, like, oh, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot of sex and nudity in this. <laughs> and I don't know if I finished it, because I didn't get exactly what I, I wanted. And I don't know if this is a sign of my lack of growth web, but as a <laughs> as an adult, a married man, I'm like, I'm still not getting what I want out of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I have a very superficial reason for that and and this is especially coming off of the heel this is the third one i'd never seen Fatal attraction before and this is the third of the uh, michael douglas pervert trilogy that i have watched and so before he's had affairs with demi moore sharon stone oh here we go web now listen glenn close is a handsome woman and she's super talented but I, I feel like, her like hair quite a bit, Webb. I see, love the curly hair. The hair is what I had a problem with. I'm not a big fan really? of Miss Frizzle, I guess. And mm. so that's what she was kind of exuding throughout the film. And I guess I'm only comparing her to the other two women. because, And maybe that's why I kind of looked at it as like, wow, this seems like not a drop-off. But those other two actresses exude a certain kind of sexuality that is so obvious and apparent, and it just seeps through the screen. You have to wipe your screen down after you watch those movies. With this one, because Glenn Close isn't known for being uh, just straight-up eye candy, I think the attraction happens very quickly to the point where it's like, wait, did this character did it? Ha- has done something like this before? It just seemed very odd, because you get the first opening uh, sequence is like, 
three, four minutes of like family life that is very real, very relatable. And it's just odd to me that he jumps to adultery so quickly. And it makes me wonder if Mm. if it's something that's normal in uh, this character's life. And if it was a Sharon Stone or Demi Moore where it was like an instant, like, oh my gosh, she is so attractive. I would have believed so it a bit more. Uh-oh. So you're you're the defense attorney for for Michael Douglas's character, <laughs> and, and your case hinges on the wife coming to terms with this betrayal because you you have a, a giant poster board in your in your courtroom and you're like exhibit A and B Sharon Stone and Demi Moore and you're like just look at them just look at them <laughs> oh no <laughs> how could you not. I see. I think that's what I really liked about Fatal Attraction. I didn't really like the sex too much, and it wasn't uh, because I'm I'm going at your your sort of gold and silver and bronze medal of <laughs> oh man, this, I feel so bad of the like Douglas Pervert trilogy. My my reasoning for for liking that uh, initial impulse, if you want to call it that, is that uh, it. I think it condemns our male lead more that, as you said, he can have what appears to be a great family life, great job. And all it really takes is opportunity oh, and because yeah. in their meeting, uh, Glenn Close is very forward uh, and, you know, her, her sort of presentation to him is, you know, you can pretty much do what you want. Like, you know, keep your secrets. You can have your own personal life and have the family as well if that's what you choose. And I'm offering to this this to you now. And it's like <laughs> Douglas is like, yeah. I, I'm Michael Douglas. I should be able to have <laughs> sex with someone else if I want to. I like that it is not someone that the audience would necessarily say, like, well, 95% of the men in this audience would do the same thing. <laughs> I, like, it's it's just, it makes the uh, the Douglas character's failings, I think, more genuine that way. As if, as, <laughs> when you bring in Sharon Stone to me more, it's like, well, it was fate. It was fate <laughs> that I had to step out on my wife. I, I like that it wasn't fated. It was a choice here. That's actually a really good point, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because it it absolutely does recontextualize uh, the film for me. Okay, so the other thing that struck me is how quickly Glenn Close's character goes from 0 to 60 in terms of her ability to be very like free and, and wild and then all of a sudden super obsessive. Do you think there was a good build-up to it? Probably not, like, if you're actually living in this world. Uh, if, if they're, you know, pacing it like a thriller <laughs> where uh, we've got to get to, the, I guess, the scares a little bit quicker, the, the unease that the audience is going to feel, um, which there's a, a slight, I guess their uh, what second date, if you want to call it that, uh, is uh, like the, the taking the dog out in the park yeah, where she, she makes this joke uh, about her, her father's death. Uh, to make this man feel bad, and then says, oh, no, I'm just kidding, which they reveal later that she actually was not. She was legitimately making a joke about uh, a dead family member. I you know, I think the Glenn Close character, maybe surface level is not particularly well drawn, but uh, I, I think she's, you know, she's far more, uh, you know, masculine seeming, a lot like and I hate to do this, uh, but I actually like <laughs> really want to revisit Disclosure at some point because it's one of those mid nineties. Uh, here's what the internet's going to look like type things. I love to revisit. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think she's uh, akin to the, the more character there, where she what she really is titillated by is the ability to to move men around at her whim, and so the mere suggestion 
of secrecy uh, of being the, the keeper of this man's uh, infidelity. She can get him like that to possibly throw it all away. Yeah, this, you know, this is like a, a passion play for her where the more it escalates, I feel like the, the more uh, she's enthralled by it because yes, for a quote unquote normal person, uh, boy, you know, it, it seems like she's got all the time in the world to take a, a drive out to the country, follow this man, take his kid out. <laughs> to the Certainly. amusement park. Yeah. That, that was horrifying to me. I'm like, I don't want to be around kids. I don't want to be around someone else's <laughs> kids. Like, you know, spending the day playing mommy with them. No, I, I, I didn't have an issue with that. Um, I, I think, I mean, what is the, what is the runtime of this? That's, That's two like hours. two hours. Yep. Yeah. Um, it really was just a sex web. It's just, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, cause I was, I was really stuck on, uh, there's a sequence, uh, I think it's their first, uh, interlude where they're having, uh, intercourse on her kitchen sink. Yes. And she reaches back and like so rubs weird. water on them. And I'm like, is the water, what is this? This, did this, this came after nine and a half weeks, right? Like this guy got this gig after nine and a half weeks or is nine and a half weeks after? Cause that would make more sense because then they, that's how you do a kitchen scene. My friends, that's. <laughs> let's get some food in there in true Costanza form. <laughs> let's bring the meats in. <laughs> Combine two passions. Um, as, as far as the, uh, you know, the erotic thriller aspect of it, uh, it may be hard to revisit now because I think they've, they've aped this so many times that maybe they've upped the stakes where the, the, you know, the set pieces, if you want to call them that don't hold as well, but you also don't get a class of actor like Glenn Close that often, you know, this is now like, C or D list material. If they, these are the type of movies that, when there were movies that they would throw out in January. Yeah. No expectation of getting Oscar nominations now. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe if you are coming to it like you are now, um, maybe it seems watered down, no pun intended. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just have to go back to my youth and say it didn't really, uh, strike me then. It doesn't now. Um, but there are, there are segments of it. Um, that I, I really like mainly, mainly just Glenn Close, just, uh, taking Michael Douglas to task and just his resigned face, just get <laughs> more resigned as the film goes on. Like he, I mean, this is Michael Douglas walks the green mile for two hours. Like when is <laughs> yeah. he going to tell his wife, uh, what he did, but yeah, Oscar nominations, uh, best picture crazy right. and, and actually kind of impressive. Like yep. the, the Academy used to. They used to like some some boobs and some butts, you know, man butts, and uh, and they didn't they weren't as judgy as you with Glenn Close hair, which <laughs> I, I love. I still think it's great. Uh, there's the power, the power dynamic that is created there, and the, what she has even going into the situation. It, it's an aphrodisiac, so I will give Glenn Close quite a bit of credit there. Um, the way that she. I guess behaves when they're out and about and having a good time also like I totally get it in those moments um, and that's just that goes to show what a great actress she really is um, ultimately I, I don't and again the reason that this film was kind of brought up was through the rabbit trilogy and I'm, I'm glad that you actually made that uh, uh, the, the rabbit is what ultimately gets him to finally confess so that's a great point. I literally, at the end of the, watching this movie, I was like, boy, I'm glad we didn't pick this. <laughs> no ra the rabbit was just like this thing. I just I just remember that there was something about a rabbit in this movie, and I didn't think about it at all, but uh, uh, any, any more than that. And I'm glad that we did not ultimately pick this movie. Are yeah, you? Yeah, I think it would have, from our uh, end, it would have come across as 
maybe a little too judgy on the Glenn Close character who has her own mental health issues, which, you know, we, we kind of breeze past that with, with Harvey and his, his right. rampant alcoholism, <laughs> you know, um, same could be said for, for Donnie Darko, uh, you know, because the other part of that trilogy was the imaginary friends angle, which is kind of there as far as she projects, uh, this relationship onto Douglas that he is, he is just sort of, he's like appalled, uh, that, she has written his part for him in this way. It was like, it's like she handed him lines at their initial meeting and he's like, he agreed to play this part. And now she's cast him as this, uh, you know, uh, husband or, you know, father figure character. Cause there's, there's the threat of the, the pregnancy, which keeps her involved. Um, it just reminded me that this is probably a lot of this stuff has gone to like TV now. And, I did enjoy how fast things moved because th this would be like, you know, she announces her pregnancy. That's the end of the episode. Oh, and, absolutely. And then we go to next week. Um, but yeah, uh, our, um, our rabbit trilogy though, dark, you know, we didn't even mention, uh, in this segment, the Nazis, you know, that we also had in that, <laughs> that trifecta, uh, maybe that this would have taken it, uh, to a, a different, different level, uh, than I would have been comfortable with, uh, because yeah, the rabbit, Rabbit fucking dies, Webb, in a, a pretty brutal, awful way. Brutal way. Uh, I way think to go, Webb. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know, the, the closest thing, you mentioned films that maybe, that cover this kind of material, or any kind of content like, like this would be put on the TV, or it'd be in the January, February releases. I guess the closest thing that is like a prestige version of these kind of, uh, this kind of content would be Gone Girl. Like, outside hmm. of that, I can't think of anything in recent memory. And I'm glad Gone Girl exists, and it's great. And I wish we did have more more stuff like this. It's just, it's tough, because especially Feel Attraction, in today's day and age, you know, the the suicide uh, tendencies, the, you're right, the mental health, um, I mean, you know, the sexual, I, I guess, misconduct. I mean, ultimately, she gets shot in the chest, uh, attempted drowning, while she's still presumably pregnant there's a lot you, going on here you imagine the audience like cheering when she's shot and killed yes by, you know, the wronged woman uh there's there's a lot of that there i, I recently uh, watched for the first time play misty for me a clint eastwood movie i think it was his uh, directing debut from the early 70s where he's a dj and there's this like obsessive fan of his that he has what he perceives to be a one-night stand and then she just keeps coming back and you know it escalates as as fatal attraction escalates and i mean there's you know there's a a literal moment where clint eastwood has fisticuffs with this woman oh, outweighs by like you know a buck 50 or something and yet again i can imagine the audience cheering like get her clint how dare she come oh back gosh. for more <laughs> so all of these things are you know troubled water for uh podcasting purposes which is why we went with the nazis <laughs> topical topical no, but I'm, I'm thrilled that uh this movie uh, exists and that it got such a great reaction out of uh, critics and I guess fans alike. So no, I'm 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 very happy with with Fatal Attraction. Ultimately, despite my little nitpicks, um, it, it was a good one. Same for the next selected film, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> so for our Paris trilogy, uh, I, yeah, I believe you did mention this, and my immediate reaction was blah because yeah. I yeah. I do not like uh, Jean Pierre Genet uh, mainly because, gosh, okay. So when I first watched Amelie. It was my introduction to the director, and I was like, "Wow, that was uh, that was very whimsical." It, there, there was a lot of whimsy there, and I, I didn't know how else to put it. I was like, "Yeah, there's a lot going on here. There's certainly uh, an uh, an autorist vision. That, like, yeah, there is a director's vision here. Clearly, um, it was charming at times, and then you know, I immediately forgot it. And then I revisited uh, Alien, the quadrilogy that Blu-ray came out." Uh, and I was so excited for it. And, my, and I finally got a chance to see the producer's cut of Alien 3. And then, of course, I had never seen Alien Resurrection because uh, I mean, after the theatrical cut of Alien 3, I was kind of like, all right, well, let's, let's, let's all just pretend that didn't happen. And then I saw Alien Resurrection for the first time, and I was I, physically sick in that movie. <laughs> Like physically, like my body, I was like, I've got a stomach ache, and it was it was horrible, and and it was worse because Fox pretty much let him do whatever he wanted, and I was like, you didn't let Fincher do whatever he wanted. Okay, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it was an extreme course correction there. Um, I have to admit, I've not seen Alien Resurrection since I was a teenager, but I remember enjoying it uh, in the <laughs> in that way of like, wow. They really went there. You've got Ripley <laughs> fucking an alien. Like, what, what is what is happening here? Um, I don't think my initial impressions... I saw this when I was a teenager. I saw this in theaters on its uh, theatrical run. And, uh, you know, this was a critically acclaimed film in, what, fall 2001? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like something I would like. Like, Because all I remember, of course, with any foreign language film, all they're really selling is the visuals, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so if they can avoid for dumb Americans any sort of dialogue in their their marketing materials, this film is great. Like if I just had it on in the background and just just watch like just imagery from it, it's gorgeous to look at. Like it's just it's just nice looking. Webb is making a face that he disagrees with me. <laughs> um, he really has a problem with Amelie's hair. I'm imagining. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. I, I think the shot composition, like each scene, is just so busy. It reminded me very much of George Lucas's prequels. He's just like put so much Whoa. crap in every hmm. single scene. It just felt too busy. I don't know why, but like I had never rewatched Amelie, but for whatever reason, I became a true hater. And I was like, yo, fuck this director, fuck this movie. And then rewatching That's it now. What the world needs right now is a true hater of Amelie <laughs> almost two decades later. And I, I genuinely, it, like watching this film, I was so frustrated because I started comparing it to other films like Midnight in Paris or uh, something, anything like Wes Anderson does, where the, the concept of whimsy and, and charming and idiosyncratic comes into play. And I feel like those films, especially Wes Anderson, I feel like he, he you watch his films and I'm always seeing him asking, like, what's life without whimsy? And I'm watching Amelie and Genet is like, nothing non-whimsical is going to enter my movie. I want this film <laughs> to be so crammed with whimsy that <laughs> the term loses all meaning. 
And so it's just shoved down your throat. Like everybody's quirky, and I'm, I, it it gets to the it gets frustrating uh, uh, to me to to watch something like this where because you're like I said, it, it, the concept of whimsy loses all meaning for me, and it just becomes noise. Yeah, I I have to admit, uh, you know, I I told you before we started recording, and uh, I guess improper. I mean, we're on; <laughs> it's actually recorded, but I don't think it's going to make the cut because it's just me and Webb kind of grumbling about. <laughs> oh God, we're going to talk about Amelie. I will pat myself on the back um, that this film would have fit like a glove for our theme of uh, dreaming in Paris of lives not lived because we have this character uh, like uh, Emma. You know, that seems to be what they're riffing off of, that she's going to make these things happen for all of the the life, all of the people that surround her. I, you know, I did initially, like, wonder, like, why didn't I like this as a teenager? Because about the first 15, 20 minutes, when she's actually kind of vindictive, <laughs> and not only not only is she doing nice things, like, you know, she's, uh like, uh, Cher and Clueless, she's trying to hook people up, which I approve of, but if someone's mean or cruel to their employees... She's going to be like Batman, and she's going to serve them justice <laughs> in some way. She's going to appear in their apartment and uh, play tricks on them, which I, I guess that's more like a Kevin McAllister type thing that she's doing than Batman. But still, she's she's bringing justice and harmony to this world, balance to the force, as, as Webb would go comparing this to <laughs> a Lucas prequel. Uh, but man, I, I lose the thread, or the film loses the thread. Like At some point, I'm just like, what... How long is this? And my wife, uh, this is one of the rare movies for a podcast that she was interested in. She what? was like, oh, I'm enjoying this. And it was about the same point where we both were reaching for our phone. And then she started like, we would pause because obviously you have to look at the screen because we don't <laughs> speak French. Uh, and then every time we'd pause on the Apple TV, she'd see how much was left in the runtime. And she's like, is there that much to do? Like, what is there <laughs> left to do? Good. And, it was that, uh, you know, I, I've spoken before with you that there's uh, that turn you can have, which I always enjoy. I enjoy. Not to say that I enjoy hating the first 15 minutes of movies, but when a movie can sway me so far and pull me in, I love that feeling. This is the opposite. Like, you're pushing me away. Um, I distinctly remember being on a date when I was a teenager. Uh, the young lady I was with loved it and thought I was just like a, a huge Larry David-like asshole for, for just... <laughs> I, like, I found it so sugary sweet that I had the same uh, reaction in my guts that you had to Alien Resurrection, where I'm like, I can't take any more of this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was uh, this was an airball on my part, because I'm like, well, clearly it fits our, our Paris trilogy theme. And you know what? Maybe, I don't, maybe there was something wrong with me as a young man. Maybe I'll, I'll look back and be far more interested in my, my fellow man, like this Amelie character. I I was not. Actually, if you want to have a theme for our B-Sides episode, it's Mike thinks he can change, and he clearly (laughs) hasn't. (laughs) That's what we're discovering so far. Well, I think if Amelie was shortened to like like 20 minutes, like it's a short film, I think it works. (laughs) Like, I don't... (laughs) You just just sped right past any sort of feature-length material. (laughs) You didn't go to 90 minutes, 80... (laughs) Right to the the uh, Oscar nomination for short film, but th- we've got another Oscar t- contender here. Webb, it was yeah. nominated for not only best foreign language film, but best screenplay, best Holy original screenplay. Cow. It's just too there's too much going on. Like she's grabbing that blind man, yelling at him. <laughs> like you know, speaking a mile a minute, he can't appreciate all that, even if he does have super hearing. I thought that was scary. 
If yeah. I was that guy, I would be like, what is happening to me? Who are you? Why, <laughs> why are you dragging me across the street? I just came from the uh, metro station. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even ask where it was going. What's... Yeah. And now I'm leaving you here. Yes. Justice served. <laughs> I'm not saying that the movie is bad. I'm just saying I didn't like it. So I hope the fans of Amelie who do find it uh, utterly irresistible, to you are welcome to go ahead and enjoy it. But... Boy, this is uh like this turned me off for the the director completely. Uh, well, I guess Alien Four, but like I, I and I did actually I did see because oh god, it was in a group setting uh, with people that I actually like respect and adore, and they wanted to watch one of his films, and we did. I can't remember which one it was, but I had the same exact feelings of like God, he's just every single shot is just so busy and messy, and he wants everything to be. Just super, uh, uh, I, I keep saying whimsical, but that's, I don't know how else to describe it. I, he wants everything to have this really offbeat attitude, and it just doesn't work for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad we ultimately didn't choose this one. Like the character doesn't want to really face reality. Like, you know, a lot of, um, you know, romantic comedies in particular, like, that's the reason people, I think, enjoy them as you, you know, you, you fade out on the, the the not having to worry about the realities of the long-term aspects of the relationship that you've rooted for for hopefully 90 minutes, in Webb's case, 20-minute shorts. <laughs> <laughs> um, here you have a character, and they, they try to touch on it. You know, towards the end of the film that, you know, she's just, she's afraid of just, you know, having her heart broken, but God bless. Like, I mean, the, these little, you know, like, I mean, she's like a dungeon master who, who doesn't want anyone to actually like play her game. She's created this fantasy world and then is afraid if anyone interacts with it in any way that they'll ruin it in some way. Um, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this does have far, you know, closer approximation to George Lucas. And he's <laughs> 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 but you know what? Lucas was fucking right. <laughs> Look at the state of Star Wars now. He should have just kept under lock and key. But yeah, it it uh, turned my wife off. Or she she got frustrated with the Amelie character, and she's like, "Okay, enough. This is like, it's like they aged her up from uh, like a manic pixie dream girl to this middle aged character, where it's like same gags aren't funny or cute anymore. It's just kind of depressing that you're still." hanging on to this. Uh, and I don't think it's a, a positive for a film that the stalkerish ex-boyfriend who sits in the same cafe every day and like, uh, talks trash to this ex of his, whenever she has a yeah. conversation with a member of the opposite sex, not a good sign when I'm like, he's the most interesting character. At least I know <laughs> what he wants. <laughs> I know what he wants and he's stating it repeatedly and he's trying, but, um, yeah, did this one did not, uh, H well, I'm just glad it was on HBO Max. I didn't have to put any money towards this. I just had to put my time, Web, my ever decreasing lifespan towards <laughs> Amelie. <laughs> well, you know what? I wanted to say something about that uh, actor because he, uh, the one who, uh, the, the ex boyfriend, because he is part of uh, Genet's, like he, he's always in his films and. It's in the Alien movie, right? He is, yeah. He on uh, Ron Perlman's back That's at some point. That's right. They turn him into a backpack and throw a couple xenomorphs at him. He, <laughs> the, the, the Wikipedia, and I found this just just tickled me the right way. He is known for appearing in films directed by Jean Pierre Genet, often playing eccentric or grotesque characters. <laughs> <laughs> 
and here he's both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever wrote that, you know, wiki entry, I feel like they're getting away with a little bit of a jab there. I did not even uh, subject my wife uh, to the film, ultimately. I was like, I think she'll like Fatal Attraction just because it's uh, an erotic thriller. My wife enjoys those kind of uh, um, those those films because they and she said she's like, well, if I'm if I'm not interested, I'll just, you know, go do something else. And she was with it the whole time. With, with Amelie, I didn't even bother uh, because, I was like, she's not good. She, this is going to be too much. I mean, just the subtitles alone, they're just going too fast. It's just too much happening here. And then with Paper Heart was somewhere in between. And let, let's talk about Paper Heart right now. Okay. What would you consider love, true love? I would consider it a time when you feel like someone is right and no one can take this person away because it feels so special to have them around. But love can be construed as many different things. Like you have puppy love. And then you have friendship love. And then you have the love with someone that you feel compassion for. And how do you know um, the difference between really liking someone and having a crush compared to actually being truly in love with that person? Well, the difference, someone can't decide it for you. You have to decide. You have to feel that this person is someone you can spend the rest of your life with. Someone that no one can ever take them away because they love you that much. What do you think about people who have a lot of boyfriends and girlfriends? Well, I really don't like them because it looks like they're giving their heart away. And yes, it sounds like an odd statement. How can you give your heart away? But you can because you give it to all these other people. And then it turns into these one-night things and you don't care about them. And this was the one that was actually uh, set to go. And then we started talking about Juno and all of a sudden we want to talk about Juno. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, with Paper Heart, my wife, uh, very similar. She's like, well, if I don't like it, I'll just go do something else. And I'm like, that's totally fine. Um, And so – put in that blu-ray because uh that's one of the physical copies i still have left and boy right off the bat like four or five trailers that i needed to skip come on man oh even on the blu-ray because i've got an old dvd copy and it's a you know there's actually a certain quaintness to uh i guess the further along we age when I'm seeing what was the new hotness for <laughs> whoever the distributor was for Paper Heart. Uh, sometimes I catch myself actually watching the trailers. It's a bit of time travel. Uh, really? It's usually nothing I have any interest in. Yeah, I I don't know, Webb. I'm, I'm shocked because I feel like I come into this podcast, I'm the negative Nancy and I'm shocked that you <laughs> you're like the angry side <laughs> of this show. This is the B this is literally the B side. Like it's the reverse <laughs> of what's that. Um there is I will say one thing though. Uh, there is one trailer I always watched. Uh, and it was for it was my VHS of Pulp Fiction and they had trailers before the movie as well. And there was on the VHS of Pulp Fiction there's a trailer for a film called Exotica. And I Here watched. We go. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Pulp Fiction way too early as a kid. I think I may have been like twelve or thirteen, and the trailer for Exotica, boy, they 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 showed just enough for me to you know appreciate the artistic value of what I'm sure this is, is a the fine film. episode of Tit that you'll ever hear. <laughs> 
Once I skipped all the, uh, you know, all the trailers for the Blu-ray, finally got to the movie. Um, my wife was kind of in and out. She was like, oh, what? Martin Stark. She's a big uh, uh, Freaks and Geeks fan. And then she's like, kind of looking at her phone. Seth Rogen looking at her phone a little bit. <laughs> Michael Sarah, you know, she's kind of in and out. As soon as she sees these names, uh, she was very uh, kind of on, on alert. I enjoyed Paper Heart quite a bit, but again, I think I was ve- the, uh, when I first watched it. But I think I was very infatuated with Michael Sarah and also Charlene Yee uh, for many reasons because I liked that awkward uh, the awkward sensibility that she has, that weird sense of humor, like, like the scene where she takes off the wig and the wig is exactly like her hair. Like I enjoy mm-hmm. that quite a bit. I find that that's the kind of whimsy that I need in my life. But also, I think. As soon as we learn about the internet, I think one of the few things that I think everybody kind of does is see who shares, which famous people share their birthdays. And Charlene and I are also, uh, we're born on the same day. So (laughs) for whatever reason, I feel like that, like that creates this unshakable bond. Like she can never be not born on that day. (laughs) I I feel very uncomfortable now. Like that. (laughs) Why? It's like this is a the misconnections episode also of uh, trilogy and theory. I I was about to go to a, I guess a similar place in that uh, uh, I I dated a girl who very much had the sensibilities of hmm. Charlene Yee and uh, actually like went to see this uh, with that young lady, uh, which she found the comparison uh, horrifying. Oh <laughs> like, no! <laughs> yeah, uh, shared Charlene Yee's got this very. I guess some would say like it's a very abrasive laugh. It's it's a, like this. Uh, I feel like there's a Seinfeld episode where it's like this. It's this very quick like haha. Like you know, it's very like staccato. It's like <laughs> she gets it all out in one punch, <laughs> and then uh, it's over. And uh, that girl shared that laugh, and I just kind of pointed that out, and I think it made her like very self conscious. But I wasn't saying that like in a offensive way. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. Like you know, it's a uh, it's very unique, and especially for a comedian, you're gonna hear a lot in uh, Paper Heart. This one, I don't think it's aged as well for me because um, I don't remember having as much of an issue uh, with the, uh, I guess the like mockumentary aspect of it back then, and now it it somewhat gets on my nerves. Like I definitely like seeing Michael, Sarah, and her together, but it's it's this you know tweener uh, to use the the sports terminology where. There's just enough of Michael and Charlene together that I'm like, wow, I wish they were in a proper romantic comedy. And then there's just enough of the uh, let this comedian interview real people about their views on love and their, you know, their their longings, their their sort of you know dreams that they had to set aside. Like, and I I feel like she actually is like surprisingly good in those, and that she doesn't try to insert herself with like a joke in a gag like it's an actual like okay i'm gonna ask you a question now i want to hear your your views i want to hear your sort of life story and it's a weird mashup of the two things and um i like both i don't know if i like both of them together though. that's a great way to put it that's exactly where i think my mind was headed as well because i didn't dislike either part i actually like the documentary stuff a little more than um the the storyline but you're right i could see myself enjoying a, a separate film or a special much more than the two together 
And and also one thing that I really love, and this could go either way. I could see people hating it, but the puppet shows that she created for those stories, I thought were lovely. They gave it's just the right amount of hey, I'm going to insert myself in these stories, but it's to kind of give the audience a visual context to what these individuals are saying. Like I'm not going to. It seemed very unselfish, and at the same time, it amplified the drama of the stories of these individuals and i have to imagine that they're real people and these are real stories because it's just too it's too damn uh, um good um i I, did you have a favorite one by the way a favorite story yeah (laughs) i mean i because i like her laugh so much i i did like her visit to a biker bar where they uh they, they took her on her first ride um, now they didn't have, I guess, an individual story that they highlighted, but it was this uh, collection of friends based on like this specific location that had fallen into a, a chosen family of sorts that I really liked. Uh, these, you know, these are the people I spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with. Uh, I don't necessarily get along with them all the time, uh, but they're here and they're they're um, a stabilizing force of some sort in my life that I can count on them being here. Uh, I, I like that one. It's not pure romance, but I, I enjoyed that, I guess, viewpoint. Um, mm-hmm. There was also a man that talked about um, his near-death experience where it wasn't yes! the, uh, the what he perceived to be the love of his life that he saw during that moment, but uh, his most recent failed relationship, which was kind of interesting. And he just pointed out, he's like, I don't really know what that means. Like, I don't <laughs> – why, like, why did I see her face? I thought that was a, a great story. That was actually my favorite one. And the one thing that I kind of came away with that really stuck with me during my first viewing, and, and it kind of reminded me, I was like, oh, wow, like this is why I liked this movie so much back then. The stuff that resonates is when I watched it and the, the moment he says, well, you know, I don't know. Like I, I couldn't break up my, uh, my, my the love of my life, like her relationship. And maybe that I – maybe she was the love of my life, but I wasn't the love of her life. And mm-hmm. that's where true love really is where you're both the love of each other's lives. And so I found that to be incredibly profound and, and that much more honest and just deep, I guess. Just, just very, it just touched me. Somebody who went through that and is able to so openly talk about it, just really, really wonderful. So, uh, and it's hard to replicate that kind of genuine emotion on film and, and, that's why these the documentary sequences really work for me. And I was really happy because I totally forgot about the gay couple. Like, I was happy that they were included there as well. And that gave a very different perspective. And I love the fact that the guy's uh, ex-boyfriend's ashes were on his, like, mantle place. Really <laughs> wonderful. Mm-hmm. And even when he was discussing it, he didn't have to go into the story. But you could see how much it meant to him because he was, you know, kind of on the verge of tears, really, when dis- when e- even just discussing it to, to talk about his first experiences or his uh, uh, second date with his boyfriend. Really, really wonderful stuff. There's a lot There's a lot there. And I would totally watch more of these wonderful uh, stories. Um puppet show or not i didn't like the um the ending necessarily but i don't know if that's i can blame our podcast (laughs) web because i don't remember having a problem with the the ending the um you know spoiler alert if you can call it that for for paper heart uh the sort of the the fantasy version of the how they resolve this relationship between charlene and michael sarah 
Um, apparently it was not in the original uh, version, the one they showed at Sundance. Um, oh. The original version of the film, uh, it ends on the uh, the filmmaker here, played by Jake Johnson, saying, no, just cut. Like, you know, it's like we no longer am I going to impose on this, like this real moment. Like I, I've been very much like trying to create the feeling of love and not letting it, you know, naturally blossom. Um, and so it just cuts to black and I'm like, Ooh, that is a, to me, that's like a stronger, stronger ending. Like it doesn't, and it makes me wonder, did they include the other, you know, sort of animated sequences? Did that also come later? Uh, because when you watch it, it feels natural that you would end on that. That's kind of in the through line. Like when they go from interview to interview, uh, but I only discovered that in trying to do a massive amount of research for this podcast, and I'm like, damn it, this trilogy in theory is maybe like this movie less now. Kind of, kind of like the cut to black. Well, I think that it won an award at I want I want to say Sundance, one wherever it was screened first, and so that version of the film won the award, I guess, not this theatrical cut. I actually, again, because it's my brand of whimsy, I like the ending because I think if you cut to black, while I think it is probably a stronger ending, you, as someone who is very invested in Charlene Yee, I want to know. <laughs> Such I a want, strange thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's great on other stuff. Like, have you seen all of House? She shows up in like season five for whatever reason and, and is great there too. Anyways. Good for her. Making I, that money. Making yes. That syndication money. <laughs> syndication money and getting to work with uh, the wonderful Hugh Laurie. I, I did want to know what it is that they were talking about at the end, uh, uh, Charlene and Michael, but I didn't want to impose because I respect her enough or her character, this fictionalized version of herself enough to, this is a moment for them. We've been uh, very voyeuristic throughout this whole film and, and that's just for them. And I'm glad that she gave something for us uh, with the... Such a take, take, take <laughs> part of this relationship web. Yeah. <laughs> And and it gave with, uh, you know, th the cherry on top was Michael Sayre's approval at the end. Where he was like, yeah, that's it. that's exactly how it happened. So I really love that. And one of the things that I believe it was a uh, a biology professor early on in the film, he talks about the the release of all the serotonin and all the different chemicals that are associated with love. And then he kind of ends it, well, well let's not also forget the mystical and the magical aspect of love and that's kind of what the ending was for me it's like we can study love as much as we want but we should never forget kind of the ineffable aspects of love the stuff that you just can't explain and that you almost have to chalk it up to magic and fantasy and that's kind of what that final bit was for me so i'm glad that it exists man, man i i think i like the movie a little bit more now that i'm done talking about it well, that's good. I, yeah. I hope our listeners feel the same way. I always <laughs> am concerned that no matter if we have heat praise on a film or extremely negative, which I guess we had to go to our first foreign language entry to be like, man, oh. <laughs> get us back to America where they make <laughs> real movies. You know, something that I've been kind of hesitant on texting you or just even talking to you about uh, on on our recording sessions is we need to do more foreign films like or or more <laughs> classic films a lot of the stuff that we were doing 
our our podcast on is fairly recent stuff, fairly mainstream uh, award winners. Uh, we started off with Harvey, like a class. I was like, oh, okay, I can see where this podcast goes, and then it went a completely different direction. But I'm very, I'm hey, so glad. I'm your boy, Michael Sarah, for not being born <laughs> in the previous decade. <laughs> I think I was discussing uh, Kurosawa with my brother recently, and I was like, man, and I was really frustrated with myself. Whereas, like, that, I wish we were covering a little bit more of. Um, uh, but again, it's like the, I also think about the numbers. It's like as much as I want to discuss, <laughs> as much as I want to discuss Kurosawa and Godard, and, and talk about French New Wave or or Hitchcock before he got you know famous, and discuss like the Lodger and it's just stuff that you're like, what are you talking about? Talk about Vertigo. It's like I I, I think uh, people. <laughs> I don't want to alienate our audience. That's all. But but Look, I'm I'm gonna sneak one of those in. I'm gonna sneak sneak a Rashomon into a trilogy at some point. We're giving them Fatal Attraction, which is over thirty years old at this point, Web. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, we're so old. That is grotesque. That is as grotesque as that actor in, in all of Shanae's <laughs> I guess we could use some food in our lovemaking. Okay, we got your, uh, got your strawberries, your chocolate sauce, your pastrami on rye with mustard, your honey. Wait, 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 wait. Pastrami on rye with mustard? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't you remember they, uh, they used pastrami in that movie, Nine and a Half Weeks? Remember the uh, pastrami scene? No. Well, maybe it was Ghostbusters. <laughs> Whatever it was, it worked. Didn't go for it, huh? No. So she didn't appreciate the erotic qualities of the salted cured meats. She tolerated the strawberries and the chocolate sauce, but uh, it's not a meal, you know? (laughs) Food and sex. Those are my two passions. It's only natural to combine them. Natural? Sex is about love between a man and a woman, not a man and a sandwich. Jerry, I'm not suggesting getting rid of the girl. She's integral. Maybe instead of trying to satisfy two of your needs, how about satisfying one of somebody else's? 